This is episode 77 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events podcast. We're continuing with Men's Roundup 2010 with Bill Thrall. This was the bonus session from Saturday afternoon. Let me tell you why I want to do this. Uh, you, you wouldn't know this, but, but I have spent um, hundreds, thousands of hours uh, sitting across a, a table, a living room, a train station, a bus station, an airport, and have talked to uh, lots and lots of people about life. And some time ago now, I uh, designed and, and made this little diagram to help me communicate something that I think is so essential for our health. And, and that's why I wanted to have this extra session uh, you could call this the sin cycle. You could call it the control cycle. You can call it compulsive behavior cycle. Uh, what I want to help us understand today is that there's all kinds of misunderstandings of God's grace. And, and one of the misunderstandings of God's grace is that grace is soft on sin. And uh, don't believe that for a minute. Grace is not soft on sin. All you have to do is look at a place called Calvary, and you know that grace is not soft on sin. One of the things, uh, men, that I am uh, wanting to make sure we get together this afternoon is that uh, many of us as Christians do not understand a phenomenon that goes like this. I know I sin, I can tell you the sins I do, and I can tell you that I repeat them, and I confess them, and I repeat them, and I confess them. And I want to mention to you guys that one of the reasons that happens is because we're not confessing the right sin. The power of sin is not in our acting out. The power of sin is in our permission we give ourselves to act out. What's really important, men, is to learn to admit when you give yourself permission to act out. If I um, can play this out with you a little bit, it sounds something like this. Um, I know it's wrong. I'm a believer. And I'm going to do it anyway. See, at that point, um, we don't want to admit the permission that we're giving ourselves. So we lie to ourselves with these magical words. I couldn't help myself. See? Why do you do that? Well, I, I can't help myself. Well, I want to suggest to you, you pay a little attention here today, and maybe we'll find you in this cycle. First of all, it starts at the very top with the gap. Now, the gap is, is nothing more than that time in our experience where we are not acting out. That's what that is. It's a gap. We're not sitting here right now, every one of us sinning in every sin we know how to do. 
We're not doing that. There's a gap. But something happens, and, and what I want you to kind of capture with me is, is this phenomenon. You may not agree with my words, so think it through. We do not experience victory over sin. We experience victory from sin. That's a very important distinction. And as I go through this with you, I'd like you to be able to uh, understand with me that here I am living in the gap and something begins to build. And you see that one there, that building? Uh, what's happening here is in my consciousness, I again am aware of that sin to which I am vulnerable. In my consciousness, I am aware of that sin to which I am vulnerable. And the building is the building in me of that awareness. And if you would write something along the side of those dots, all the way down to acting out, just write this down. Just write down these words, my scheme. My scheme. Just write those words there. My scheme. And you're going to say, oh, this guy, I don't know. I don't know maybe I'm not going to stay in this session. Um, and maybe you should. Let me, let me mention this to you. Every one of those numbers represents what we call a key. Every one of those numbers represents a time in this cycle where you can choose to disclose. If we say it in biblical words, we would say this, every one of those numbers represents a time in your area of sin where you can bring into the light, bring into the light what is true about you. The power of sin is always broken in the light. So disclosure is critical. So here I am. I am aware of the sins to which I am vulnerable. And I'm thinking about it again. Every time we get to one of these numbers, I want to tell you, men, if just one other person knows and you choose to disclose, you don't go to the next step. But if you choose to not disclose, the next step is inevitable. It's inevitable. So once I am aware of my anger, you know, you do tick me off. And you do it often. Mm, but I'm not going to tell you right now I'm upset at you. I'm just going to tell you, hey, things are fine, but I'm boiling. You know the language. So what happens is something critical in our dynamic is this. 
Once I am in my consciousness aware of the sin to which I am vulnerable and I choose not to tell someone, it triggers my repeated self-story. Gentlemen, everyone in here has a personal self-story because there's no one in here that has not been affected by sin like no one. There's a reason we're all screwed up. There really is. Um, sin's for real, guys. You know it theologically, right? You know this next statement. Do you know the intention of sin in you is to destroy you? How's it doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's powerful, man. Never be naive as a Christian of the power of sin that is in our flesh, like never. So what happens is it triggers my self-story, and, and my self-story can be one of two extremes. Everybody in the room is one of two extremes, and somewhere obviously in the middle, but many of us in this room, our self-story is this. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms. Our self-story is we just don't measure up. I mean, why would anybody hurt me so much if something wasn't wrong with me? It's the story of the wounded. Well, there's another self-story that gets triggered by this awareness of the sin. It's the superior self-story. The superior self-story. You know, if it wasn't for you, I'd be great. <laughs> You stand in the way of everything that I could do and am. And I happen to marry one of you. Oh, my gosh. I don't know your self-stories, but I know you have one. I'll share part of mine. I can be demeaned and never know what triggers it in me. I can't predict it. Because of the wounding, I'm sure, of my childhood and some personally bad choices, when I get demeaned, I go real passive. Uh, my mother and dad were yellers. Anybody ever live in a home where your parents are yellers? I, my mom and dad were yellers. They just, it was horrible. Uh, my mother could swear in two languages <laughs> at a very loud voice. I only know a few Polish words, and they're all swear words. Learned them from my mother. They were yellers. I don't yell. I withdraw. You know what I do? I go passive. You know how I get even? I pull from you. John Lynch, one of my associates, is probably the best person in the world to help me catch the reality of what I'm doing. And when we're in meetings together, John will, John will go something like this. Hey, Bill, come on back, buddy. We actually need you. You're one of the leaders here. We're making choices. Where in the world have you gone? And I'll say, John, I'm okay. He says, what do you mean you're okay? Then he asks me the key words. How'd you get hurt? Now, he doesn't know. 
that I, where I got hurt or how I got demeaned, but he can catch in me the passiveness, my withdrawal. Now, I just share with you guys, it's really important, very, very important, that somebody you know, somebody you can trust, and listen to tonight's message on protection and permission, but somebody has to know what's happening when you go into that story that you tell yourself all the time. Because when you tell yourself that story all the time, what happens is you use that story, now listen to these words, you use that story to give you permission to eventually act out. Because if nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms, what difference does it make if I sin? And if you're the cause of everything I do wrong, then I'm just going to go ahead and sin and make you pay. See, that's a bad self-story. You could just write the word shame there. Every, every self-story is triggered in shame. Now listen to these next words. Every addictive cycle is buried in our shame. The power of Jesus Christ at the place called Calvary, he did not just die for our sins. He created in us a new person whose identity would not be in shame. In Christ, there is no shame story. So I, as a Christian, ask this very, very critical question. How in the world do I learn to live out of who Christ says I am? Because I'm so tired of living out of the shame story. Now look at the next little dot. Temptation. Now temptation is really interesting. In this sense... Here's what's happening. Once I have allowed sin to come into my consciousness and not disclose, it triggers my self-story. And once my self-story ramps up, I look for opportunity to sin. And evil, James says, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. Now, the language is strong, but we're men. Let's, let's man up on this one. Temptation is not something external. Temptation is something that begins internally. It is my looking for an opportunity to sin. That's why it's a scheme. Wow. So if you're down, way down here at number six, we haven't gotten there yet, but if you're at number six and you have been taught that you're sinning 
needs to be confessed and you keep doing it, but you keep sinning the same sin, it's because you haven't confessed here the desire in your heart to intentionally act out. And you look for opportunity. If you struggle with pornography, you might notice the computer doesn't get turned on by itself. You might notice that. You might notice the pornography doesn't come up when your wife is in the room. You might just notice that. Anybody ever notice that? It just doesn't happen that way. You know, you, you, don't, you don't go into the places to sin and you take your best friends and wife with you. Why don't you do that? Why don't you do it? Because, what's that? Because you scheme. Because you scheme. Here's the deal. Own the scheme, men. If you don't own the scheme, you'll never stop the acting out. Like, ever. This is the language in the scheme. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, it's, a, it's an interesting battle with God because it sounds something like this. And, and you'd say, well, I'm a Christian. I would never say these words, Bill, that you're going to say, but this is what we do. I know it's wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway, God, and you can't stop me. Now, we would never say that, right? I mean, we, who, who would talk to God that way? But that's exactly what we're doing. Brothers, can you see if we as men could learn to confess our sin then? In the middle of the scheme, in the middle of the plan, in the middle of the intention too, we would be confessing a very different sin. A very different sin. By the way, we would be confessing the sin that holds the power of the sin that we do. Huh. Imagine a relationship where you could say to somebody, oh, I really need to talk to you, brother, because um, right now I'm planning to sin. Now, you, you may disagree again with my words, but accountability groups that are set up to help you stop sinning are not very good at all. Don't go. But accountability groups where you and other men can sit over the phone and talk about the desire you have to, in fact, act out, that's a powerful group. That's a powerful group. Now, I, I know this is, for some of you, different language, but I want to tell you something. It is much easier to admit that I did it than it is to admit that I'm intending to. Exactly. Hear what I just said? It's much easier to admit that I've done it than it is to admit that I intend to. See, because one of them just is, oh, poor me, I screwed up again. The other is, I'm really a rascal. I, I really am. 
I'm really a rascal. Sometimes when I meet with individuals, uh, just as my policy, I, I never meet with a married man without his wife present. And I never meet with a married woman without her husband present, no matter what the issue. Because they are both, both of them being horrifically affected by the other person's behavior. And even though we don't want them to hear what is true, they are designed of God to be part of the solution. So by the way, I haven't sinned yet. I still haven't done the act. Look at the next step. I know that I'm tempted because in the middle of my scheme, I catch myself, so I resist doing it. Now, I'm, I know some of you are going, the guy's actually reading my mail. He's into my head. Because this is what we do. We resist then the temptation that we have created to sin. Now, some of us in this room could be pretty unhealthy in an area. I want to tell you something. Men, we actually resist to heighten the pleasure. We actually resist to heighten the pleasure. Could we be really honest right now? Our addictive behavior is caused by our addiction to the pleasure of sin. We're addicted to the pleasure. Look at the next little... By, by the way, I can still disclose. I have a really good friend of mine, a real good friend. He lets me tell this story. Uh, he and I met each other in 1976. And uh, I travel a lot, but every Wednesday when I am in town, since 1976, this friend and I have lunch. I really like to go because he always buys. But, uh, but we have lunch. and Some years ago now, probably 20 years, 30, 25 years, I don't know when, at one of the lunches he said to me, um, Bill, I've never told you this, but I struggle with pornography, and I, and I know you have done that, and I know you've, you've, you've had some uh, help in that area. And, and he said, I just wanted you to know that, so... So when I'm tempted, I, I really want to be able to tell you. And I said, that's great. That's a real gift. I, I accept that. Soon after that luncheon, he went out of town to Los Angeles. And um, he went to a hotel, and he called me. At, let's say, I don't know, let's say 9 o'clock at night he called me. And he says, I'm doing great. He said, I'm going to go to bed. I, and I said, did you tell him to turn the adult channels off? Uh, well, I don't need to tonight. No, remember our deal? You just, when you call me, that's what we agreed. You know, just go ahead and do I, I, I can't do that, he said. Just, just do it. Well, I'm not, I don't intend to act out. I, I know you don't. I believe you, but do it. Because if you actually did that, you couldn't act out, for instance. 
So he goes downstairs. Uh, this, is, this is a God story. So he goes downstairs to the lobby and he wants to go up to the counter, but unfortunately at that particular moment at the counter, the person behind the counter is a really beautiful young woman. And so he calls me back and says, I can't do it. What do you mean? You can't, I, I, can't, I can't tell that girl to turn off the adult channels. She'll think I'm an idiot. Well, you are. <laughs> Go tell her. This is, this is the God part of the story. So he, he, he goes up to the counter and he says, uh, could you turn off the channels in the room number whatever? And she said, uh, sir, are you a Christian? And he says, I am. He said, only Christian men ever tell me to turn those channels off. He started to weep. He started to weep. You'll notice number five. If you do not disclose with confession your resistance to sin, you will hide enabling yourself to actually act out. You will hide. Because sin loves what? Sin loves darkness. It thrives in darkness. And so we hide. And what are we doing in our hiding? We are creating an opportunity to move from God and others to, in fact, enjoy the pleasure of the sin to which I do. I keep repeating it, but brothers, I, I really want to encourage you with this. Disclosure is critical to resolution. Somebody asked me this morning, and I told them I would mention this. Not everybody. You know, you're not going to write a bulletin for the church. But, but let me say this. If you're a person with nobody, it's inevitable that you will continue to act out. And I want to give you a couple insights I've learned. Sometimes we get seduced into pacifying our sin by this. You know, I don't need to tell anybody because God and I are working on it. See, God and I are working on it. And when men tell me that, I'll say to them, well, how long have you and God been working on it? 20 years? You know, let, let me tell you something about God. He's really good at it. He's really good at it. And if you and God were working on it, and it's more than six weeks, let me tell you something. He ain't working on it. Because <laughs> he's better than that. And you know why he ain't working on it? Because you're not giving any permission for him to work on it. Listen carefully, men, because you don't intend to stop. You don't intend to stop. It's the reason you don't disclose. It's not that you're not in pain. And it's not that you're not in grieving. And it's not that you're not full of sorrow. It's that you don't intend to stop or you would tell. 
And we go, no, there's just nobody to tell. Liar, liar, pants on fire. There's no one you're choosing to tell. And then we do it. We act out. I'm not going to spend much time here because it's the one we know the most about. This is the one most books are written about. This is where most people apply 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And, and, and he's not really good at it because I keep confessing it. It's because I don't confess what's true about the scheme and the intention of my heart to not give up on it. I want to kind of give you almost a promise, men. You want to start seeing some resolution to your life stuff? Start admitting to God the real stuff. Talk to him about everything that's happening before you act out. Talk to him about that. Because that's where the power of the sin is that you're enjoying. It's almost a paradox of words, isn't it, brothers? We're Christians, and we can say that our Savior died for us and that we hate sin. And yet we're pleasurized. I'm just trying to give you language, men, to own it. I'm trying to give you language to resolve it. Because without ownership and, and coming alongside of others, there, there is no resolution. Please, go ahead. Yep. Those are, those are three or four really good questions, and let's talk about them. Oh, that's good. They're real good. Um, let's be careful to understand who it is that God says we really are. That, that'll help. We are a new creation in what? Flesh. We are in Christ, right? And we have something that is still true about us, our flesh. Sin is powerful, man. Now, now I, I, I want to just back into your question this way. As a Christian man, I have to start trusting what God says is true about me in Christ. Now, 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 my language may be different than yours, but let me share this with you. As a Christian man, if you start to believe that it's really true, you have a new heart, the expression of your new heart will be love, not a desire to sin less. Now, you hear that? That's a really important distinction, brothers. Really important distinction. When you as a Christian are willing to accept God's word that you have a new heart, the expression of that new heart will be love. And this is a truism. The more we love, the less we sin. But working on sinning less never leads us to loving more. That is a paradox, men. Learn the paradox. 
Here's our imagination about your question. I get it. I'm a Christian, but I still sin. So I need to work on my sin so I can become a better Christian. I need to work on my sin so I can love you more. I want to tell you something. Working on your sin is going to keep you working on your sin. And that's why many, many adult Christian men are extremely still unhealthy. Because the key is this. I have Christ in me. I have a new heart. I can, by faith, choose to disclose so the power of sin does not dominate my life. Now watch carefully. By acting in love toward you. You see, because sin does something. We know it. Sin does something. Sin causes me to use my brother instead of love my brother. That's what sin does. Sin causes us to use each other. Love causes us to have the other person's best. I want to give you some real hope, men. I have sat across the table from men with pretty significant addictive cycle patterns who have learned to trust who God says they are and have had powerful ministries of capturing intentionally other people's benefits. It's possible, because that's who Christ made us. Now look right after the acting out. Look what happens. I withdraw. And the reason I withdraw, because I've acted out, <laughs> in that moment, sin convinces me about something. I don't like me right now. And something else is true. I don't like you very much. And so I, I do something. After I act out, I withdraw. Now, listen carefully. I may be present, but I ain't here. Those are those times when our wives intuitively know something's wrong with us, but we're afraid to tell. Because we know, they know we're present, but they know we ain't there. We, we, we're, we're, not in, we're in the room, but we're not present. We're vacant. Yeah, thanks. We're vacant. Um, did you ever hear of a guy in the Old Testament called David? I think you have. David had a scheme. David had a scheme. David didn't just one day happen to have sex with Bathsheba. David had a scheme. David had several wives and over 400 concubines. It's hard to imagine that's not enough. It's just hard to imagine. And David sent his men to war, but he stayed back. Because in David's scheme, they didn't have motion pictures or cameras, and they didn't have internet. 
but he knew something about his culture. David's house was the tallest house in the town. And every afternoon, the women of the town took their baths on their roofs. And David watched them take their baths. He had a scheme. And he used Bathsheba. You know the story. This is a brutal question. This is a brutal statement. When we give, when we give ourselves permission to act out, we give ourselves permission to use others. To use others. When we give ourselves permission to act out, we give ourselves permission to use others. And David's story gets all tangled up in the death of this woman's husband and so on and so on. So I withdraw, and then I move into this justification. And this is my attempt to self-protect because I know I've done something wrong. And the, the superior person's justification always sounds like this. You're the reason that I screw up. Whoever the you is, you're pointing your finger at when you screw up. You're the reason. The inferior person's self-story says, yeah, it's inevitable. Look, I'm so screwed up. I, I, I can't help myself. I've never been able to help myself. But the justification needs to be told. Uh, for me... The hard one. It's a hard one to admit the justification that I talk about to myself when I know I've done something wrong. I told you the story this morning of my teenage daughter and how much I was hurting her. And, and, and um, I'm, I'm pretty unhealthy at this point, and so I'll tell you my unhealthy story. I don't know why she's so upset. I didn't do much to her compared to what my parents did to me. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever think that thought? Yeah, what was I doing? I was justifying. Listen carefully. She never saw me like my parents. She only knew me as dad. But I justified it in my own mind. But I, I'm going to tell you something, guys. The pain in her was so great, I couldn't keep justifying it. I had to face it. Thank God for that 13-year-old girl. Thank God we had enough good talks, went way together, processed it through, and, and, and she learned to trust her dad. But I'll tell you something, what her dad had to learn. Her dad had to learn... A very important lesson, men. Her dad had to learn, am I willing to tell those I love how I am affecting them? 
how I am affecting them. Have I learned, have I learned to let those I love tell me how I am affecting them? It has changed my life. It has changed my life with every relationship. Do you know what it's done? This is so healthy to say this to you guys. What it's done, it's minimized my justification for the way I'm screwed up. Because they've taught me, they've taught me who I am by giving them permission. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Now look at after justification. There is a blame and a victim. Do you remember the story in the... Um, this morning when we talked about the, the shame in the garden, what did Adam do? He blamed Eve and who else? He blamed Eve and God. He said, you know, God, um, that woman you gave me? You know, she just come out of nowhere. You know, you actually gave her to me. And you know, God, if you hadn't done that, I couldn't have screwed up. Now, none of us would say anything like that to God, but he did. He did. No, a lot of us talk to God that way without ever saying it to God. You know, if God hadn't let that happen to me, you know, I'd be fine. If God hadn't given me, if God had given me that opportunity, I wouldn't have done what I did. You see, the if God clause is a bad clause, man. It'll keep you in the bondage of sin. God is not the bad guy, like never. <coughs> so we find a victim, someone to blame. And sometimes that person is me. And I blame me. And when I do, it triggers my shame, which is the next one. But before we get there, um, sometimes we'll go on a radio program to talk about one of our books or talk about our ministry. And I was on the radio in um, Chicago and a woman, because I was talking about some of this subject out of one of our books and a woman called in. She said it was uh, Karen who was anonymous and the screen had Karen Smith, 1741, whatever street in Indianapolis. <laughs> Yeah, you're pretty anonymous. Are you the Karen that lives on? But she didn't know that. She was just using her phone. And she called in and she said these words to me on the air. She said, um, I don't think I, I agree with you. She said, I, I, I recently had an affair, but I've chosen to not tell my husband because I don't want to hurt him. I don't know what your answer would be, but this was my answer. You've already heard him. He just doesn't know it. He just doesn't know it yet. You need to tell him. And the screen just lit up. I mean, if it held 25 names, it was full. And Wayne, my host, look, looks over at me and he says, um, Bill, we won't be talking about your book anymore. You see that screen? That's why we're on the air. Just keep talking. And so the woman keeps talking and she says this to me. She says, oh, man, I don't know if I could do that, but she says, you know, I've made a promise that I'll never do it again. 
I don't know what your answer would be, but this was my answer. Ma'am, Karen, it's easier the second time. It's easier the second time. You are programmed to do it again if you don't disclose you've done it once. And so what happens, men, is our blame leads us to number 10, which is a deep awareness all over again of our shame. Um, as I've told you, brothers, I, I've done a lot of counseling with a lot of people, and I, I don't know how to give uh, enough attention to the effect of shame in us as human beings. It's that powerful. And when I continue to go through this cycle without disclosure, you can draw a line. Just draw a line from number 10 to number 2. Just draw a line across your paper. Because every time I go through this cycle and get hit again with the reality of my shame, all I really do is reinforce my unhealthy self-story. That's what I do. I reinforce my unhealthy self-story. And as I have this afternoon short session with you, what I want to do is I want to say to us, um, in order for us to have safe, safe environments, they have to be places where we trust each other enough to let the other person tell us how we are affecting them. If you want to have a healthy marriage, if you want to increase the health of your relationship with your wife and children, and you go home this weekend and you say to your dear wife, honey, I don't know how to do this. It may be a little clumsy. But I tell you what, I'd like to start giving you permission to tell me how I'm affecting you so you can protect me. That's tonight's lesson. Now you'll notice the last point on this cycle is we get into what is known as a loss of hope. We as human beings, we have phenomenal uh, emotional elasticity. It is amazing how we can bounce back and bounce back and bounce back until we lose hope. And when we lose hope, we lose our emotional elasticity. This is pretty dangerous territory. Because when individuals lose their hope, they lose their sense of caring. And that hopelessness, that sense of caring, is what causes their addiction to get out of control. This brother was asking me after our session this morning, uh, give us your name again. Ken. Ken was asking me this morning after our session because of the audience he works with, God has given him a ministry with, with um, people in prison and people on drugs and people who, who have addictive lifestyle 
who have lost hope. Now, here's, here's something that we all need to be aware of. Any man that's sitting here right now who because of, or anyone you're counseling with who has a sense of a loss of hope, they desperately need someone to love them. They desperately need someone to love them. Yeah, I really do care about the fact they're screwed up. I really do. And I really care about the fact they're on drugs or whatever they're on. But I'll tell you what. If you really want to help them, don't instruct them how to be less addictive. If you really want to help them, love them. So they can learn to trust you. Because all loss of hope is rooted in a loss of trust. All loss of hope is rooted in a loss of trust. So as our brother moves into his ministry starting tomorrow when he gets home, and we move into our ministries, into our families, all of a sudden for this guy, something makes incredible sense. Incredible sense. The reason that Jesus said our love would be the witness that we are Christians is because in the power of our love, we create hope. And hope, because of trust, breaks the bondage of sin. Whoa, what if Jesus knew that much? Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? So as we go through tonight's session and I talk with you about protective love and permission, I thought for at least this group, we could talk about this particular control cycle. There is nowhere on here, nowhere on here, that I as an individual are beyond redemption. But every step on here requires disclosure so it can be redeemed. Okay, we have just a few minutes. I'd be open to questions or responses. Wanted to get through it, but I will be here another 10 minutes or so. Just what questions or concerns did I create for you this afternoon? Anybody, please in the back, just speak up loud and I'll repeat your question. Yes. Yes, his question is, when my children were younger, I took them to this, my wife, I took them to this cabin. Would that apply to adult children? And the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, if you would, start the process by doing the affirmation tool with your children. Do it with your adult children. It is amazing. I don't say this to you. It is amazing how much is pent up in your children that they just wish you'd let them, let them tell you. It is amazing what's pent up in there. And so it would be so important. A, a, a couple of years ago, on Father's Day, uh, my wife likes to do little things like she did on this day. 
she put on, she knew where everybody sits at the, at the Father's Day table, and under everybody's plate, she had scotch taped a question just for that person. And so everybody around the table got to do uh, their question. Uh, I only, again, I don't have a long memory, I only remember one of them, but it was the most powerful for me that day. And the question was this, it was of our adult son in his 40s. Uh, Bill, describe your best friend to us. And we thought he was going to say David. David North and Bill have been friends since the fourth grade. David never got married and actually bought the house um, behind my son's house so he could get close to Bill and his family. But he didn't say David. And the minute he said these words, everybody at the table cried. He said, you know, my best friend has been my sister Wendy my whole life. And man, we just all started crying. And he affirmed his sister, who's also in her 40s. And why? And then my wife, at that, at that lunch, Father's Day dinner, my wife remembered something. Bill's wife and Bill met on a missions trip in, in France. And he came home to tell us that he had found Charlotte and Grace remembered, she'd said to him, well, Bill, describe Charlotte to us. And he said, she's like my sister Wendy. That's powerful stuff for adults. Practice it. Your kids really want to tell you. You need to decide to let them. Somebody else, a question. Yes, sir, right here. Thank you. What he's saying is a very important point. Very important. My summation is this. Men, don't be afraid to have a face-to-face -face with Jesus. He really loves you. Men, Jesus really loves you. I mean, like, like really loves you. And don't be afraid to have a face-to-face -face with Jesus. Never as a Christian... Never, ever, ever do this. If I just work on a few things here, I'll be able to talk to Jesus better. Our brother is suggesting, you know, if you had a face-to-face -face with Jesus, maybe you wouldn't have so many of these things. Somebody else, what, give me a question or come, yes, sir. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well said. Well said. And, and again, it's biblical. It's biblical for us as Christians to be aware there's a target on our back. Yes, sir. This is wise. Listen to what he's saying. Until we actually realize we have a scheme, we're not always sure why we do what we do. And the minute we start to see that we have a scheme and that we're actually making steps intentionally within the scheme, he's suggesting those steps become like logs in our path. So when we trip over them, we know we're actually in the middle of our scheme. That's, those are wise words. Thank you. In the back here. Yes, sir. First of all, you can give us your name. Gordon Thank you, Gordon. Secondly, you can let us pray with you. And thirdly, when we're done, I'd like to talk to you. Yes, Somebody right behind you has a question. Somebody there? Yes. Uh, you're talking about the Radio Show. Yes. Yes. Why 
that's a good question. What he's saying is, why does he have to know? Can't she just go to like a pastor and confess what she's done and be done with it? Well, she could, except her husband has been unbelievably affected by her behavior. He just doesn't know it. He just doesn't know it. Go ahead. Amen. Yeah. Here's here's a as a maybe a cautious step. It may be wise for her to take somebody with her. They may have to get some counseling to go through it. But but I I want to I want to say to you, men. Um, whew. Gosh, are we schemers? Do you know what we do? If I didn't get caught, it must not be so bad. Now, I'll tell you what else we do, and this will be part of my answer to your brother up there. Um, sin does something to us, guys. It always minimizes the consequences of our choices. And sometimes we don't really even get in touch with what we've done until the person we've sinned against gets to tell us what we've done. Sometimes only their response wakens us to the reality of the horrificness of what we've done. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to hold my promise till 3 o'clock. Thank you guys for coming. And uh, Gordon, I'd like to just see you for a couple minutes. Okay?